To begin. Are you watching closely? To begin. I just, I'm bored. To start. What plaything can you offer me today? Here's the deal. Just give me the facts. Just the facts. Only the facts. Breathe. Focus. Keep it simple. No, 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 no doubt, no doubt. Okay, welcome to Cock and Bull Minute, a Tristram Shandy story. A podcast in which, eventually, ostensibly, at some point, we will be talking about the 2005 film Tristram Shandy, a cock and bull story, one minute at a time. Good lord, what is this story all about? Cock and a bull story. Here's your host, me, Robert Black. Consider this episode another distraction, a diversion regarding my role as host of Hitchcock Minute this very week and last. I recounted last time how I was deliberately drinking through the recording session of most of those episodes, so I thought I would include a more clearly spoken version of some of what was in a few of the later episodes there. And then, I took a look at the massive quotation, something like half an hour long in itself in the original recording, cut down to about 17, from minute 14 over there, which, as this episode of Cock and Bull is going up, should have gone up last Thursday or possibly late Wednesday night over at Hitchcock Minute. I thought of re-recording that whole thing. Except... This is not Hitchcock Minute, so you do not want to hear all of that. But one segment stuck out in regards to what I was talking about last week, and how we create our own versions of movies in our heads. This is from Murray Pomerantz, his book, An Eye for Hitchcock. Quote, Harold Garfinkel discusses a technique he calls anticipatory following, which is essentially learning by imitating how to frame answers to potentially threatening questions. We deduce by paying careful attention to the structure of the questions themselves. We take cues from others as to the behavior they expect or the frame within which reasonable action can be set, and thus contrive how to be the person observers assume we naturally, automatically, simply, merely, and wholeheartedly are, and always have been. But which comes first with anticipatory following, the gesture or the cue for the gesture? We all do anticipatory following, particularly as young children, but often later in life as well. We all know how to simulate what we hope others will take us for, guessing quickly from their behavior toward us who we are and what it is that we are supposed to do in order to simulate ourselves correctly. For instance, I don't recall a single moment in my childhood when I was taken to see Beneath the Twelve Mile Reef at Tivoli on James Street in Hamilton, Ontario, or else The Greatest Show on Earth, which I know I saw ten times on ten successive Saturdays in 1956, or The Man Who Knew Too Much, or Boy on a Dolphin, or His Majesty O'Keefe with that amazing performer Abraham Sofauer, or The Road to Bali. When anybody actually gave me the instructions, sit down in this plush chair, watch that sparkling screen, be quiet, listen, and see everything that is there. Eat this popcorn without making any noise. But I did manage to learn to be the movie watcher my parents and babysitters thought I already and simultaneously was, or had the potential to be, and I have been that watcher all my life since. I can even remember having been that watcher the other day, while yet another motion picture was spun out in front of my eyes. But now, instead of popcorn, I had my decaf Starbucks. I am that watcher now, as I write this book. End quote. And it occurs to me, or occurred to me reading this, I don't recall the first time I saw a movie in a theater. I remember certain movies that were some of the earliest, Raiders of the Lost Ark specifically. I remember being in a theater for it. However, I would have been like four. It's one of my earliest memories. Is my mother attempting to cover my eyes when the big German brute is going to get his face in the plane propeller? She didn't know they weren't really going to show anything but a splatter of blood. And she also didn't know, apparently, where my pupils were because she didn't get her hands covered quite well, so I saw very clearly that all they showed was a splatter of blood. I may reference that, actually, in what I'm about to read to you. For a level of detail more regarding my time in movie theaters, I picked another entry at the Groundhog Day Project. 
And no, I did not pick this one because of the title and my drinking for Hitchcock Minute, which I am the host of last week and this week. This is day 291, Monday, May 19th, 2014. Drunk's more fun. But I'm only on Dayquil. Still, I find myself reciting lines of dialogue along with the characters, and I think I'm running some of these lines a little better than they are. Have I mentioned that Dustin Howe at the Washington Post predicted back in 1993 that Groundhog Day will never be designated a national film treasure by the Library of Congress? He liked the movie, called it pretty good, and said that watching it, you'll feel like you've been through too many days yourself. With its zany daily episodes, Groundhog gets stuck in a non-progressive repetition. It's also headed for the usual Hollywood life lesson, in which Murray's moral winter must thaw. He also makes some factual errors, and I'm feeling petty as well as sick. For example, he says this, Ned, I would love to stand here and talk with you, he tells Tobolowski at their umpteenth chance meeting, but I'm not going to. First, the minor nitpick. Is it really a chance meeting after the first time? Then, the major nitpick. This dialogue happens at their first chance meeting. I'm pretty sure umpteen is a stand-in for a far higher number than one. But really, the reason I'm sharing Howe's review is because of that prediction. You see, in 2006, the film was selected by the National Film Preservation Board for inclusion in the National Film Registry of the Library of Congress. But someone had to be wrong about Groundhog Day. The rest of us needed Howe's wrongness as our baseline to know how right we all were. I'm not sure if I actually remember the first time I saw the movie. It was probably opening weekend. I have a vague idea that it was at one of two theaters, the Man 3 Theater in Hastings Ranch in Pasadena, or the General Cinema at the Santa Anita Fashion Park in Arcadia. Neither of these theaters exist today, but we frequented them a lot back then. The number two at the box office that week, February 12th to 18th, was Summersby, which I'm pretty sure we saw at the Man 3 Theater. But it was in its second week that weekend that Groundhog Day came out. Loaded Weapon 1, I'm also pretty sure we saw at that same theater, but it too was in its second week, so I'm not sure. For the record, I had already seen, or would eventually see, 9 out of 10 of the top 10 movies for that week. 1. Groundhog Day. 2. Summersby. 3. Homeward Bound, The Incredible Journey, 4. Aladdin, 5. Loaded Weapon 1, 6. Untamed Heart, 7. The Vanishing, 8. Scent of a Woman, 9. A Few Good Men, 10. The Temp. It is the Temp that I don't think I have ever seen. Groundhog Day, Summers Bee, Aladdin, Loaded Weapon 1, and Scent of a Woman I definitely saw in the theater. That last one I know for sure was at the General Cinema at the Santa Anita Fashion Park. I went to that one with a date in January of that year. Aladdin was in its 14th week by this time, so I probably saw it some 14 weeks earlier. Though A Few Good Men was in its 10th week, I wouldn't see it until June, on the flight to, or was it back from, Hawaii, for our senior trip. On that trip, we would also go see the movie Cliffhanger. I had seen it already, but we had few choices in Kanapali. On that same senior trip, I would jump off a 40-foot waterfall, buy new sandals only to break them in mud the very next day, golf for the first and only, so far, time, and start my shot glass collection, which continues to this day. Another film released on February 12th, Strictly Ballroom, number 18 on the same box office list I used for the list above, I would end up seeing several times at the Academy Theater in Pasadena. That's a second-run theater, and it would be a double feature with Benny and June, released April 16th, so I guess that was a couple months after the weekend in question. I'm reminded of Nick Hornby's book, Fever Pitch. It's basically a memoir, but each chapter revolves around a specific soccer game because he's always been a big fan. He recounts his life story as a series of vignettes marked by what was going on in the world of British soccer at the time. I could probably do a lot of the same with many of the movies I've seen. Just recently, my son asked me if I had a fake ID when I was a teenager. I told him I didn't need one because I wasn't really into drinking then, and the one thing I was into, movies, well, 
I told them about one time when I and some friends went to see Stephen King's Sleepwalkers, we got our tickets by letting one of the pretty girls in our group flirt with the teenagers selling tickets before we asked for ours. My daughter was surprised and I was offended that I went out with pretty girls back then. There are more movies available in my history than unique events worth telling stories about. After seeing Sleepwalkers, for example, a group of us, five guys and two girls, went to Rosie's Diner and that was the night we figured out how to get toothpicks to stick in the ceiling. That was a thing. I even managed to get one of those little umbrella toothpicks to stick. But the day we went ice skating after school and then a few of us went to see Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, well, that doesn't make for much of a story, even though I probably fell down trying to ice skate more than once. I remember things like the first movie I saw at the New United Artists Theater in Old Town Pasadena, another theater that no longer exists, was Heartbreak Rich. Years later, I would work at that theater for a few months, eventually quitting, along with a couple fellow ushers, because a new manager turned out to be a jerk who liked to yell at us before realizing we'd already cleaned up the theater he thought we hadn't gotten to yet. Seriously, this happened more than once. As if we all didn't have the schedule for the movies either memorized, or a copy of the schedule folded up in our pocket. I remember the time we saw Brewster's Millions and A Nightmare on Elm Street at the drive-in, and we left in the middle of A Nightmare on Elm Street, and I did my best to keep watching it from the back seat as we drove away. I remember the time we watched Lethal Weapon in a tiny theater inside the front of a ferry between Ireland and England. I remember when I saw Raiders of the Lost Ark and my mom tried to cover my eyes and the big guy Indiana Jones was fighting with turned around to get his face lashed up by a propeller and her hands were badly placed so sure enough I saw that they didn't even show his face get hit anyway just to splatter of blood on the tail of the plane. Movies were my thing long before I started this epic journey down Groundhog Day Lane, interrupting the blog to say, and even longer before I started down this Movies by Minutes Lane. Back to the blog. Movies were always a thing with my family. Movies I've seen more times than probably any other, aside from Groundhog Day, of course, would be Mr. Mom, National Lampoon Vacation, and Trading Places, because we had those three copied on the first, I think, of many videotapes full of movies, back when we first got a VCR, a top-loading quasar that had a wired remote control purchased from Price Club in Azusa. Interrupting the blog to point out that I was remembering incorrectly. Trading Places was on a tape with Somewhere in Time and Staying Alive. I think there was no third film on the tape with Mr. Mom and Vacation though it was probably still recorded in EP. Back to the blog. Of course, just having the movie around didn't mean we watched it a lot. I believe our second tape had Places in the Heart, Halloween, and Splash. Again, I must add, I think, because we're talking about videotapes from the early 1980s, of course memory doesn't have to be entirely accurate. It probably can't be. Or maybe, I just can't remember all of this accurately because of that time a grenade went off in my helmet. Interrupting the blog again, because this is horribly faulty memory. A big thing for us growing up was how the Karate Kid linked to Halloween because of poor recording skills. You get this triumphant end credits music from Karate Kid, triumphant, 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 and we'd sit there trying to guess when the Halloween opening theme was going to cut in and really fuck up that mood. The tape was Places in the Heart, the Karate Kid, and Halloween. Splash was on a tape with Footloose and Romance and Stone. This correction I had to look up. And by look up, I mean photos of our old movie list binder last updated in 1999, cataloging what movies we had and where they could be found. On the numbered recorded tapes, purchased tapes, my sister's tapes, or my tapes. Through the late 80s and the 90s, we would have family friends over on like a Saturday night, invited at church that afternoon, surely, and we'd probably make burritos. They would pick a movie or two, or on a daring night, maybe three, and we'd watch them. But back to the block. And I'm fairly sure... I have never actually watched Places in the Heart all the way through because it was too boring for my young mind. Another movie we had on a tape early on was Top Secret, so I've seen that one a lot of times as well. Same for the already mentioned Raiders of the Lost Ark and Romance of the Stone. These are the movies I can still quote to this day. I don't even remember the last time I watched Romance in the Stone, but I still know a bit of dialogue like, They told you I had a car. They're such comedians. 
They met my little mule, Pepe. Man, the Doobie Brothers broke up. When did that happen? And speaking of quoting movies, and because I'm curious, my sister still reads this blog occasionally, or listens to this podcast. One time when we were getting out of our car that had a sunroof, my sister Bobby just says, Roof! Roof! My response, Bobby's barking again and getting on my nerves again. Change the name and that's from Halloween, which we used to watch at least once a year and usually more. Today's reason to repeat a day forever. To befriend everyone around me, one day at a time, and watch their favorite movies with them. And share mine with them too, I suppose. If you haven't already, hop on over to Hitchcock Minute. You can hear me all last week and this week. Minutes 11 through 20. I'm drinking. I'm talking. I'm rambling. Editing some of those was really difficult, but I got it done. Or jump on over to my other shows. The outro will give you the website, but the shows... I look at the original Halloween, Michael Myers Minute, with a bunch of friends. We look at Dave Made a Maze and Dave Made a Minute. Been looking at The Room in The Room Minute with a co-host. That show is currently on a little hiatus, as we kind of caught up to our recordings. I deconstructed and demolished and destroyed Mandy in Mandy Sucks Minute. And then there's this. Thank you for listening. This has been Cock and Bull Minute, a Tristram Shandy story. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Cock Bull Minute. Or find us in the Facebook listeners group, Cock and Bull Pub. Find more content at lemmingdrops.com.